Let's take our Bibles and open up to the book of Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8 beginning at verse 19 through 21. Luke 8 beginning at verse 19. We read, Then his mother and brothers came to him, but they could not meet with him because of the crowd. He was told, Your mother and your brothers are standing outside, wanting to see you. But he replied to them, My mother and my brothers are those who hear and do the word of Yahweh. May Yahweh bless his word to our hearts today. Family is important. You know, we've got so many verses in Scripture that speak of honoring your parents, loving your spouse, nurturing your children, honoring the elderly in your family, so forth and so on. Yahweh has shown us that how we treat and interact with our family members has a lot to do with practicing our faith. But what we will learn in our text today is that natural family is not always spiritual family. Now, it can be, but it is not always a given. Praise Yahweh for natural families that are spiritual families. Praise Yahweh's grace for those natural families who all, every member of them, serve Yahweh in spirit and in truth. You know, if you are here today and you believe in Yahweh and in His Son Yeshua, and you believe in His saving grace and mercy, you believe in His holy law, and you have a wife who believes all of that with you and serves Yahweh right by your side, how much of a blessing is that? Same goes for you sisters. If you are here today with all of that faith inside of you, and you can look over at your husband, and he believes along with you, what a gift that is. You need to be thankful. Thank Yahweh even right now. Give him thanks for that blessing. Because such is not always the case. And I think that we all realize that. You know, we praise Yahweh for those in our family who do believe, who are in covenant with Yahweh, but we realize that there are those in our family, maybe parents, maybe grandparents, maybe an uncle or an aunt, maybe a cousin, maybe even a child, who does not believe. They aren't in our spiritual family. They're outside of the realm of the family of Yahweh. And this is the key of our text today. Look again at Luke eight nineteen through 20. It says, Then his mother and brothers came to him, but they could not meet with him because of the crowd. He was told, Your mother and your brothers are standing outside wanting to see you. His mother and brothers. Now this is Miriam, commonly known as Mary, and the half-brothers of Yeshua, the other sons that Miriam birthed, after she had Yeshua, because Yeshua had additional brothers and sisters. Some of his brothers were Yaakov and Yehuda. Today we call these men James and Jude. When the text says his mother and brothers, it is speaking of those immediately related to Yeshua, close kin or first of kin as we say here in the south. They could not see him and talk to him because the crowd around him was so vast. His mother could not talk to her son. His brothers could not talk to their brother. That's why in verse 20 we read that some people came and told him that his mother and brothers were standing outside desiring to see Yeshua. This lets us know that Yeshua must have been inside somewhere, possibly a house, and his mother and brothers were outside of the house and couldn't get in because of the crowd. 
So what does Yeshua say? Well, he uses the situation as an opportunity to teach a spiritual truth. Verse 21 says, But he replied to them, My mother and my brothers are those who hear and do the word of Yahweh. Now, he's not being disrespectful towards his mother or brothers here. He loved his family. He kept all of those love-your-neighbor commandments that are horizontal, person-to-person. We even see in the Gospel of John, chapter 19, verses 25 through 27, that as Yeshua was dying upon the cross, that he commissioned one of his disciples to take care of his mother from that point on. See, Yeshua loved his mother, Miriam. He made certain she would be taken care of even as he was dying. He knew he'd be resurrected and going to be with Father Yahweh soon, so his statement in Luke 8.21 was no disrespect to her, and his statement also does not prove that Miriam was not a believer. The same goes for his natural brothers. Luke 8.21 is not a rebuke towards his natural brothers. When Yeshua said, My mother and brothers are those who hear and do the word of Yahweh, he wasn't saying that his natural mother and brothers were automatically lost souls. That was not his point. His point to those listening to him was just to let them know that our real family or our real kin are those who listen to and obey Yahweh's word. Now, catch this next point. It's important. He also was not saying that he would not love his mother, if she was an unbeliever. See, Yeshua would have respected his mother even if she was an unbelieving woman. Why? Because the Torah teaches to honor and respect your mom. It doesn't say to just honor her if she is a believer in the Messiah. We are to treat our parents with respect and honor whether they are believers or not. But here's the thing, though. If our parents or grandparents or brother or sister or cousin or uncle or son, daughter, if they're not believers, they are still part of our natural family, but they're not part of our spiritual family. Being only a part of the physical family does not equal salvation. That's important for all of us to understand. This next thing I'm going to say is very important. Listen carefully. Salvation is personal and individual. Just because there are people in your family who are in a right relationship with Yahweh, I'm talking about your natural blood family, just because those people in your natural family are in a right relationship with Yahweh does not mean that you automatically get a free pass into the kingdom of heaven. You must be saved from your sins. You will not enter the kingdom based on mom and dad's relationship with Yahweh. You will not enter the kingdom because your great-grandmother was saved or your great-great-uncle was a man of Yahweh. You must confess your sin. You must believe. You must repent. You must be baptized. You must hear and do the word of Yahweh. And we all know, we all know that every person in our natural family does not hear and do the word of Yahweh. We all know that we have kinfolk who don't. And Yeshua's point then in Luke 8.21 is that some may be our natural family, but they are not our spiritual genuine family. They're not members of the family of Yahweh by just being natural 
family. So I've laid that out on an individual level, but I want to go deeper into this for the remainder of the sermon, and we'll loop back around to Luke 8 at the end. I think you should be able to understand what I've shared thus far, but let's go deeper into the scriptures. Listen carefully. Being just or only part of the physical family does not equal salvation brotherhood. Being just or only part of the physical family does not equal salvation brotherhood. There exists within the physical family of Israel a spiritual family of Israel. Now, I just took this to another level, but don't get lost. I want you to follow along with me. Okay? I want to lay this out here for all to see as simple as I know how. Listen carefully. The Bible is a book about the nation of Israel. That's not my choice. That's not my doings. If you read the Bible from cover to cover, you'll see that it was written to the Israelites. Now, prior to the people of Israel, it all began with a man named Adam. Adam was the forefather of the Israelites. He was what's known as a patriarch. From Adam we get his son Seth that Yahweh gave him in place of Abel whom Cain slew. We get Seth in Genesis 5. And then eventually we get other men in that lineage, all patriarchs, righteous patriarchs, men like Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. These are all patriarchs and these are all physical forefathers of the nation of Israel and physical descendants from Adam. They're all people who were chosen first physically, naturally, and genealogically. All right. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Jacob's name was later changed to Israel. And he fathered 12 sons, and that's the birthplace of the 12 sons of Israel, or the 12 tribes of Israel. That's why they're called Israelites, is because their father was named by Yahweh. In his name change, he was named Israel. Yahweh says over and over in Scripture that he loves these people more than all other peoples. Once again, I did not write that. That's what Yahweh says. If you are not familiar with that teaching, let me give you four Old Testament passages and four New Testament passages that you can look up yourself to see this. This will get you started as a precursor to your more in-depth study that you do in your own time. These verses in the Old Testament are Exodus 19, 1 through 6, Deuteronomy 7, 1 through 6, Psalm 135, 4, and Psalm 147, verses 19 through 20. In the New Testament, write down Matthew 2, 6, Matthew 15, 24, Acts 13, 16 through 17, and Romans 9, 3 through 5. Now that's only a small sample, but it will get you started in showing from the Bible that Yahweh has a particular chosen physical genealogical people upon the earth then in Old Covenant times and now in New Covenant times. And it should not surprise us that Yahweh loves Israel more than all other peoples of the earth because Israel is typified as Yahweh's wife many times in specifically the Old Testament. And just as Yahweh loves his wife more than all other women, in other words, that nation more than all other nations, I love my wife more than all other women in here or over the phone ministry. 
that doesn't mean I don't care for women in general. And if I saw a woman with a flat tire on the side of the road, I would stop and help her. That is showing love towards her as a neighbor of mine. But I do not love any of you women in here like I love my wife. I love my wife more than I love any other woman on the face of the earth. Yahweh loves his wife more than any other woman or nation on the face of the earth. So Yahweh is allowed, just like us, to have different degrees of love. Okay, he is omnibenevolent, but he does not love everybody in the same way, and he does not love everybody on an equal level. Now, all of this is true. The physicality, genealogy of men from Adam up to Israel and the twelve tribes. All of this is true. Chosen physical people. But, and it's a big but with two asterisks around it, <laughs> you must realize that the thrust of our sermon tonight from Luke 8, 19-21 is this. Not every member of the natural family is also a member of the spiritual family. Now, I've already showed that on a smaller level to begin with, with your kin family. The Jansons, the Sewells, the Bowens, the Smiths, the Beaucaires. I've showed that on a personal level. I pointed out that each person in here tonight knows members of their immediate family that are not believers. In other words, they are your kinfolk, but they are not part of the family of Yahweh because they don't listen to and do the word of Yahweh, as Yeshua says in Luke 8.21. So being part of the natural family simply isn't enough. You must not only be part of the natural chosen, but you must be part of the spiritual chosen. And if that's true, and it is, then the larger level is true as well. Every physical Israelite, physically born, naturally born an Israelite, though a member of the natural chosen family, is not automatically also a member of the spiritual chosen family. Now, I showed a simple chart I made for a sermon a few weeks back, and I'd like to show it again tonight and make sure that you understand what I'm saying in this chart, because I don't feel like everybody did understand it. Maybe I'm wrong, but I don't feel like everybody grasped what I was saying. Let me try to simplify this. There's two circles on this chart. The larger circle, the big red circle on the screen, represents natural Israel. Every single individual physical Israelite chosen as Yahweh's special treasure. That's what the big circle represents. However, we know that not all of natural physical Israel hears and does the word of Yahweh. I hope that we know that. Now this is why inside this larger red circle I've got a smaller blue circle. I've drawn this smaller circle and this small circle still represents physical Israelites. Remember, this big red circle is physical Israel the smaller circle inside of the big one still represents physical Israelites. But it represents those inside of physical Israel who are also spiritual children of Yahweh. In other words, this smaller circle is the remnant that listens to and obeys the word of Yahweh, Luke 8.21.
Again, for the sake of emphasis, the smaller circle still represents physical Israelites, just like the larger circle. The key is the smaller circle represents those physical Israelites who are also spiritual Israelites. We know that there are members in the family of Israel who do not believe in and follow Yahweh and Yeshua. Let me show you this. Look at Matthew chapter 10. We're going to begin to branch out from Luke now. Matthew 10 will begin with verses 32 through 33. This is Yeshua speaking here. It says in verse 32, Therefore everyone who will acknowledge me before men, I will also acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him before my Father in heaven. Now, this lets us know that we should never be ashamed of our beliefs in Yeshua and who he is and what he's done for us and what he taught and him being the only way of salvation. He's the only door to Father Yahweh. You cannot get to Father Yahweh without coming through Yeshua, his son. We should not be ashamed of any of that. We should openly acknowledge that before men here upon the earth. And when we do, Yeshua acknowledges us before his father. And when we deny Yeshua before men, he then denies us before his Father. Verse 34, Matthew 10. Don't assume that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. Now here we have two opposites, peace versus a sword. This is similar language to Matthew 5.17 where Yeshua says, Don't assume or think that I came to destroy the law. I have not come to destroy, but... To fulfill. See, there's opposites in both of these texts. There's a contrast. I did not come to do one. I came to do the other, the opposite. Now, we think of Yeshua as the Prince of Peace. Let me ask you a question. Is Yeshua the Prince of Peace? Well, sure. Sure, he's the Prince of Peace. The Bible calls him that. He brings peace. He does. Remember back to Luke 2.14 when Yeshua was born, the angel from heaven announced, Glory to the Almighty in the highest, and peace on earth, goodwill. Peace on earth. There are many verses that speak of Yeshua bringing peace, but in this case, we must also believe that there are situations upon the earth where Yeshua did not come to bring peace. He says it, I did not come to bring peace on the earth, but a sword. And what is he talking about? Peace versus a sword. Well, he explains it in verses 35 through 36, and this is where it fits into my sermon. For I came to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies will be the members of his household. Now here's the explanation. Physical, familial relationships are often severed because of our spiritual relationship with Father Yahweh. Once again, praise Yahweh where fathers and sons both follow Yahweh. Praise Yahweh for when daughter-in-laws and mother-in-laws both follow Yahweh and believe in Yeshua. But such is just not always the case. I think we know that. There are cases where one person in the physical family serves Yahweh and the other one does not. And it causes a rift. It causes a sword. And according to Yeshua, he's the one that brought the sword. A man's enemies will be the members of his household. And you know what? That's hard. That's not easy. I'm not sitting up here puffing my chest, acting like some kind of big macho man that says, well, 
that should be easy to accept. That's not an easy pill for me to swallow, nor is it an easy one for you. That makes my heart hurt, because I love every member of my physical family, and I continue to pray for those who are lost. But this scripture says, I came not to bring peace, but a sword. This scripture will be fulfilled somehow in our lives. Now, I want you to realize this next point, because I don't think a lot of people do. Matthew 10, 35-36, those two verses that we just read, are actually Yeshua quoting a passage from the book of Micah, the Old Testament book of Micah, chapter 7, verse 6. Yeshua is quoting that text. If you go back and read Micah chapter 7, verse 6, Micah 7 is only about Israel. That's who Micah 7 is about. So therefore, Micah 7 is about families in Israel who have some believers in them and some unbelievers in them. They're enemies in their own household. That's important. Huge. That's really, really huge in this sermon. Let's look at the last verse that I'm going to deal with in Matthew chapter 10, verse 37. Yeshua continues by saying, The person who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. The person who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Now I want you to notice the comparative love. It's a comparison. Yeshua is not telling you to hate your natural family when they're unbelievers. Or even your enemies. He says to love your enemies back in Luke chapter 6. We talked about that in an earlier lesson. This is a comparative love. Even when our father and mother may not be believers and they're rebellious and they're our enemies, we're still to love them and to honor them as our parents and respect them. But we can't love them more than Yeshua. He that loves father and mother more than me. See, same for our children. We love our children. We love them dearly as parents. I have five beautiful children. But we can't love our children more than then Yeshua. He says, if you do, you're not worthy of me. So, we cannot let our physical family relationships, like me, for instance, in the Jansen family, I can't let any physical family relationships in my Jansen family take precedent over the spiritual family relationship that I have with me and Father Yahweh. See, we can't stop serving Yahweh in a certain area in order to appease our natural family. We can't make choices in life that go against Yahweh's law in order to please the will of somebody in your family. We have to love Yeshua more than we love our father, mother, brother, sister, husband, wife, or child. That's difficult for me because I'm a man that does not like to offend anybody. And so therefore, I want to get along with everybody. But I have to love Yahweh more than I love my natural family. Now, I'd next like to go to a passage in the Old Testament, Exodus 32, verses 21 through 29. I'll have all these up on the screen. But before we look at this passage, I, I want to give you a word of warning. It's a potent text. This is a text that many New Testament-only Christians would probably like to ignore. As a matter of fact, I know some of them don't like the text, and they like to ignore this. Never bring it up, never deal with it, but we're not New Testament-only Christians around here. We're whole Bible Christians. 
And this is a whole Bible church, so while it might seem gruesome in the eyes of liberals and secularists and even some professing Christians, it's part of the inspired word of Yahweh. So we're going to deal with it. It fits right into the sermon. We'll begin at verse 21 to get a little context, and you'll recognize that this is the chapter about the golden calf. We'll begin in Exodus 32, verse 21. Then Moses asked Aaron, What did these people do to you that you have led them into such a grave sin? Now, the sin here is idolatry, really first and second commandment transgression, because Moses had been gone for about 40 days up on the mountain, and the children of Israel regressed into making a golden calf to worship. They were attempting to depict the mighty one who brought them out of the land of Egypt, but in doing so, they were sinning. And the first commandment says not to have any mighty ones beside or before Yahweh. The second commandment says not to make a graven image or a likeness to bow down and to worship it. Exodus 32, verses 22 through 24. Don't be enraged, my lord, Aaron replied. You yourself know that the people are intent on evil. They said to me, Make us a mighty one, an Elohim, who will go before us, because this Moses, the man who brought us up from the land of Egypt, we don't know what happened to him. So I said to them, Whoever has gold, take it off. And they gave it to me. When I threw it into the fire, out came this calf. <laughs> I laugh because I, I find it humorous every time I read that from Aaron. He speaks as though he just tossed all their gold into the furnace and the calf miraculously appeared. And we know that that's not what happened. This calf had to be fashioned. It had to be sculpted, polished. I mean, you know, it took some time to make this calf. And Aaron knew that. Aaron knew exactly what had taken place. But he let the majority rebellious rule over him and they fell into sin. Verses 25 through 27. Moses saw that the people were out of control, for Aaron had let them get out of control, resulting in weakness before their enemies. Moses stood at the camp's entrance, and he said, Whoever is for Yahweh, come to me. And all the Levites gathered around him, and he told them, This is what Yahweh, the Mighty One of Israel, says. And I want to stop there for just a second. Picture this. Moses is at the entrance of the camp, he calls out for those who are on Yahweh's side to come to him, and all the Levites gather to him. Now, this does not mean that there weren't others who gathered to him as well, but the Levites are singled out, especially here because of what they're about to do. And we know there had to be others gathered to him, because after what took place, there didn't only exist Levites within the nation of Israel. There were other tribes as well that existed after this occasion. But the Levites are pointed out for a reason. Now I want you to look at the first part of verse 27. Moses says, this is what Yahweh, the mighty one of Israel, says. So what we are about to read at the end of verse 27 is what Yahweh told to Moses. This has heavenly authorization behind it. It's not something Moses just made up or dreamed up or decided to do on his own accord. Look now at verse 27 in, in its entirety. It says, He told them, this is what Yahweh the Mighty One of Israel says, Every man fasten his sword to his side. Go back and forth through the camp from entrance to entrance. And each of you kill his brother, his friend, and his neighbor. Let that sink in. Don't let it 
going one ear and out the other. That might be the only time you hear that passage read for the rest of your life because it's not a popular text. Here we have family. Natural, physical, flesh and blood family. And the Levites were instructed to slaughter them, their family members, in physical Israel. Why? Because these physical family members were not hearers and doers of the word of Yahweh. They didn't come over to Yahweh's side, as Moses instructed in verse 26. Look at verses 28 through 29. The Levites did as Moses commanded, and about 3,000 men fell dead that day among the people. Afterward, Moses said, Today you have been dedicated to Yahweh, since each man went against his son and his brother. Therefore you have brought a blessing on yourselves today. 3,000 men of Israel died that day by the swords of Levite men who were more dedicated to Yahweh than they were to their natural family. Now, if you thought Matthew 10 was hard to swallow, Exodus 32 is even harder to swallow. Tougher for me. I cannot even begin to imagine being one of those Levites with a sword that day and hearing the words from Yahweh through Moses, kill your friend, your brother, your son, and your neighbor. Like I said before, I find it difficult enough to have a contention, a Bible argument with my natural family, much less to go through and pull out a sword out of a sheath and slaughter my own brother. That's wild. But evidently, the rebellion was so strong that it had to be wiped out. It had to be gotten rid of. They were unrepentant. You know, sometimes things can be remedied or nurtured back to health, but other times the rottenness is so severe that the only thing you can do is throw the rottenness away. Evidently, there were 3,000 Israelites there that day who were hell-bent on idolatry and cared nothing about Yahweh. They were not hearers and doers of Yahweh's word. Thus, Yahweh commanded the Levites to execute them. That's sobering, isn't it? But you know what? It's part of the inspired scripture. And we must love this passage just as much as we love John chapter 3, verse 16. Sobering text. Go back and read it when you get some time. Now, I've got one more text to go through tonight, and that's Romans 9, beginning at verse 1. And I want you to remember before we go here, our theme in this lesson is this. The natural family doesn't always equal the spiritual family. Who is my true family? Well, Yeshua says it's those within my natural family who hear and do the word of Yahweh. And that is what Romans 9 is a lot about. Let me begin here by saying that I've taught three lengthy expository sermons on Romans 9, 1 through 23 for more detail. I won't be as detailed here tonight, so if you want more detail, listen to my expository sermon series on Romans 9, 1 through 23. We'll begin in verses 1 through 3 of Romans 9 tonight. This is Paul writing. 
He says, I speak the truth in the Messiah. I'm not lying. My conscience is testifying to me with the Holy Spirit that I have intense sorrow and continual anguish in my heart. For I could almost wish to be cursed and cut off from the Messiah for the benefit of my brothers, my own flesh and blood. Paul is hurting severely here. And it's a hurting interior of the heart. It's a sorrow. He's in sorrow. And it's a sorrow he has for his own flesh and blood brothers. It's such a severe sorrow that he is almost to the point that he would be cursed and cut off if it meant that his brothers could be saved. Now, I am amazed. And when I use that word amazed, I don't use it word, I don't use that lightly. I am genuinely amazed that there are people who read Romans 9 and say that it's not speaking about salvation in Christ. That it's just talking about natural election. <laughs> hmm. These three verses at the beginning of the chapter prove that salvation is the subject. Paul would not be in such a severe sorrow wishing to take the place of his brother's if the subject was not eternal salvation. That's the issue here. Salvation. Paul sorrows because he loves his physical flesh and blood brothers. He mentions them in verse 3. His Israelite brothers. He does not want his Israelite flesh and blood brothers in the tribes of Israel to die outside of the Messiah. And just in case you don't think that's what he's talking about, look at verses 4 through 5. He says in verse 4, they are Israelites. And to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the temple service, and the promises. The ancestors are theirs, and from them by physical descent came the Messiah. The Almighty over all be praised forever. Amen. Uh, just a quick note, I've read verse 5 here differently than it reads in the HCSB, which is my normal Bible. I believe that I've read the verse correctly, but I'm not going to explain why here. As I said, check out my more detailed sermons for a deeper explanation. For now, in verse 4, Paul explains who he is in sorrow for. He told us in verse 3 that it is for his brothers, his own flesh and blood. And we should already know who this is if we're a Bible student, because Paul himself is an Israelite from the tribe of Benjamin, according to Romans 11, verse 1, and Philippians 3, verse 5. So he expounds, though, upon his brothers by calling them Israelites here, and he's speaking of physical, flesh-and-blood Israelite people, genealogical Israelites here in Romans 9. I want you to look at all the privileges he lists for Israel. To them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenant, the giving of the law, the temple service, and the promises. All of that belongs to physical Israelites. The ancestors are theirs. I take that to be speaking of the patriarchs. And the Messiah, Yeshua, is an Israelite by physical descent. Paul says this in verse 5. Now, that's a ton of privileges there in Romans 9, 4 through 5. As a matter of fact, that's all the privileges. They all apply. They all belong to Israel. So why then is Paul sorrowful for them in verses 1 through 3? If he lists all these privileges that they have, why is he 
almost to the point that he wishes he was cursed for the sake of his brothers. Well, I will tell you why. Because there are many of his kinsmen who have rejected Yeshua. They've not accepted Yahweh's plan of salvation. Therefore, they are hearers and not doers. Therefore, they are part, yes, of his natural family. But they're not part of his spiritual family of Yahweh. And they will never be part of his spiritual family of Yahweh unless they repent of their sins and trust in Yeshua the Messiah for the forgiveness of sins. All of these privileges are theirs, that is, physical Israel, but these privileges are taken away from them when they reject Yahweh's means of salvation, His Son, Yeshua the Messiah. That's Paul's whole point here. He's saying that he's sorrowful for his kinsmen who will be cut off from Israel and thus cut off from the Messiah. Why? Because they reject Yahweh's son. Look at verse 6. But it is not as though the word of Yahweh has failed, for not all who are descended from Israel are Israel. Now, I've heard all kinds of interpretations of this verse, but if we allow the context to determine its meaning, it is not a difficult verse to understand. Very simple to, to grasp. Paul says, Verse 6, this does not mean the word of Yahweh has failed. Well, what does he mean by the word of Yahweh has failed? I want you to think about it. It is to Israel that all of these privileges apply, yet many Israelites are rejecting Yeshua and thus being cut off from these privileges. So has the word of Yahweh failed pertaining to Israel? Well, Paul's answer is no. And the reason Paul gives for that no is this, for not all who are descended from Israel are Israel. If you're reading the KJV, it will read, for they are not all Israel who are of Israel. Now, Paul is not introducing non-Israelites here in this verse. Some people would have us to believe that's what verse 6 is doing. That's just not what he's doing. He's not introducing any non-Israelites into this passage right here. In Romans 9, 6. Paul is saying this. The reason the word of Yahweh has not failed concerning Israel is this. Not every physical member of Israel is also a spiritual member of Israel. Paul makes the exact same point here in Romans 9 that Yeshua makes in Luke 8.21. Paul is saying that Yahweh's word about Israel still stands like it always has, but it stands only with those in physical Israel that are also hearers and doers of the word of Yahweh, those who truly believe in Yeshua and follow him as their master. I want you to remember the illustration of the two circles. The big circle represents all physical Israelites, the small circle still represents physical Israelites, but only those physical Israelites who believe in Yahweh and follow Yeshua, thus they hear and do the word of Yahweh. So, in Romans 9.6, there's not an adding to Israel. There is a taking away from Israel. It's like if you had a hundred Israelites, but only one of them serves Yahweh, and 99 are in rebellion. Or if you had a hundred and 
only 25 of them hear and do the word, and, and 75 of them are in rebellion. Well, those who are in rebellion, the 75, they're all still physical Israelites. But they're not brothers and sisters to Yeshua because they don't hear and do the word of Yahweh. Do you see my point? I hope that you do. Let me show it to you further in verses 7 and 8. Paul's still making the same point. He says, Neither are they all children because they are Abraham's descendants. On the contrary, your offspring will be traced through Isaac. That is, it is not the children by physical descent who are Yahweh's children. But the children of the promise are considered to be offspring. Paul begins with the word neither because he is telling on his point in verse 6. Neither are they all children because they are descendants. Get that. Physical descendants of Abraham. Why? Because the offspring is traced through Isaac, Abraham's son. Not another of Abraham's sons like Ishmael. Listen carefully. Ishmael is just as much a son of Abraham as Isaac in the natural. They both have Abraham and his lineage. But Paul's point is that just because you are a physical son of Abraham doesn't automatically mean you are a spiritual son. Isaac was both a physical and spiritual son. Isaac was special. Isaac was chosen. Well, then we have verse 8 where Paul writes, It is not the children by physical descent who are Yahweh's children, but the children of the promise are considered offspring. Now, when we interpret this in context, Paul's point is that physical only doesn't make you a child of Yahweh. There must be a spiritual part. All Israelites are not part of the spiritual family of Yahweh. All Israelites will not be saved in the final outcome of things. They won't. I know we have some people that believe in universal reconciliation, that every single individual human ever to be born will eventually be saved. We have others that believe that every single individual physical Israelite will eventually be saved. I do not believe either of those two doctrines. I believe both of those two doctrines are false. And one of the reasons I don't believe it is because of what we're covering in this sermon tonight. In Luke 8, in Matthew 10, in Exodus 32, and now in Romans chapter 9. All Israelites are not part of the spiritual family of Yahweh. Yes, they are all physically descended from Israel, but that doesn't mean they're all Yahweh's children. It's the children of the promise that are true offspring, not the children of the flesh. And children of the flesh, when I say children of the flesh, I'm not talking about non-Israelites. I'm only talking about Israelites. If you are just a fleshly Israelite by genealogy or by physicality, that does not make you a child of the promise. You have to be a child of the Spirit. That's Paul's argument in neither moving on into Abraham. Just because Ishmael had Abraham as his dad did not mean that Ishmael was a child of the promise. No. It's only the children of the promise that are considered children of Yahweh, special chosen children of Yahweh. And just in case someone makes a big deal about Isaac and Ishmael being birthed by different mothers, like Paul says in Romans 9, verse 9, look at this, For this is the statement of the promise, At this time I will come and Sarah will have a son. 
just in case anybody wants to tuck that in there, I think Paul anticipated that because Paul is much more intelligent than I am. He's very intelligent in his argument. In case you think that right now, where you're sitting or listening over the phone, Paul gives another example of two physical brothers who had the exact same parents. Now, how about that? Same father and mother. Look at verses 10 through 13. Paul says, and not only that, <laughs> in other words, not only the example I gave with Abraham, but also Rebecca received a promise when she became pregnant by one man, our ancestor Isaac. For though her sons had not been born yet or done anything good or bad, so that Yahweh's purpose according to election might stand, not from works, but from the one who calls, she was told, the older will serve the younger, as it is written, I have loved Jacob, but I have hated Esau. And oh me, is there so much to get into in this text. And I would love to do it right now, but you have to go to my more detailed expository sermons on Romans 9. I want to stay focused here. I don't want to get off on too much of a rabbit trail. Let me just make my main point. Jacob and Esau were twin brothers with the same parents. Rebecca became pregnant by one man. And actually, in Romans 9, what is that? Verse 10? Man is actually not in the Greek. It's just by one, meaning one conception. It's likely, and I lean towards, and you'll have to listen to more detailed sermons, but I lean towards Jacob and Esau actually being twin brothers, identical twins. Now, yes, one was more hairy than the other one. As a matter of fact, does anybody know what Esau means? Anybody? The name Esau means hairy. So in reality, they named their son Harry. <laughs> but I believe, based on the Greek, studying the Greek text there in depth, I believe that they're identical twins. And Rebecca became pregnant by one conception. And that one conception was with Isaac. And she birthed Esau first and Jacob second. Remember Esau came out of the birth canal first. And Jacob was grabbing a hold to Esau's heel. That's why one of the meanings of Jacob's name is heel catcher, supplanter. Remember that story in Genesis? Well, both were of the same genealogy. Both were physical children of not just the same dad, but also the same mom. So you can't say, well, they didn't have the same mom like you could back with Isaac and Ishmael. Remember, Isaac and Ishmael had the same dad. But Jacob and Esau had the same dad and mom. However, one of these children was elected and one was passed over. One was loved and one was hated. And in all of these examples in Romans 9, there is a cutting away, a dwindling down, a lessening of what's already in the physical. In other words, you're not a child of promise just by being a physical son of Abraham because Abraham had Isaac and Ishmael. Only Ishmael was chosen. I mean, excuse me, only Isaac. Excuse me, only Isaac was chosen. Thus, only Isaac was a child of the promise. But also, you're not a child of the promise by just being a physical son of Isaac. Because Yahweh chose Jacob and not Esau. And this text, whether any of us like it or not, this text says that Yahweh chose them before they were born or had done anything good or bad. 
And I know that doesn't sit well with a lot of people today, but that's what the Bible actually says there in Romans 9, 10 through 13. Thus, this is what Paul's talking about in Romans 9, 6. He makes a statement in Romans 9, 6, brings out his argument in Romans 9, 7 through 13, and then continues on after that. You're not a child of the promise by just being a physical son of Jacob, Israel. You can have an Israelite dad, and you can have an Israelite mom, and you can be twin brothers, and one of you can be elect to salvation, and the other one of you may not be. Who is my mother and my brother? Obviously those who are elect, but the elect will be hearers and doers of the word of Yahweh. And when I say those who are elect, I'm talking about spiritual Israel, that smaller circle, not just physical Israel but the, those in physical Israel who are also spiritual children, hearers and doers of the word of Yahweh. That's why Paul says, look at it again in Romans 9.8, it is not the children by physical descent or of the flesh who are Yahweh's children, but the children of the promise are considered to be offspring. You are not Yahweh's child just because you might be a physical Israelite. There is no salvation by your genealogy. Romans 9 verse 8. You must be the elect spiritually within the physical chosen. And that brings us full circle back to our opening text of Luke 8, 19 through 21. Specifically verse 21 where Yeshua says, Who is my mother and my brothers? Well, it's those that do the will of Yahweh. It's those that hear and do the word of Yahweh. Were Yeshua's mother and brothers determined only by physical descent? Was everybody in Yeshua's natural family a hearer and doer of Yahweh's word? Well, the answer to that question is no. And is everybody in your natural family a hearer and doer of Yahweh's word? Isn't there a sword between you and some of the members in your natural family, even right now? Wasn't there a sword between the genuine and the rebellious Israelites in Exodus 32, when the Levites slaughtered 3,000 of their physical brothers, sons, friends, and neighbors? Well, so it was then, and so it is today, Matthew 10, 34-36. Luke 8, 19-21. And we may be saddened by that fact, and it is a sad fact, that not all of our physical family will have salvation. Not all Jensen's will have salvation. Not all Bowens will have salvation. Not all Sewell's, not all Bocares, not all Smith's will have salvation. And that's sad, but nonetheless, it is biblical truth. Paul was in severe sorrow, and so should we be. He was in sorrow in Romans 9, and I'm sorrowful for my kinsmen too. And it is sad. And as long as our family has breath, we should hope for and pray for and witness to them and we should plant seed in all of our physical brothers and sisters. But in doing so, we need to realize that not all of them are going to be saved. As a matter of fact, most of them will not be saved. There's always a contrast between the many and the few within the family of Israel. Most Israelites will be lost for eternity. Few, the remnant, will be saved.
And we've got to realize, when our natural family rejects the word of Yahweh, we've got to realize that our mothers and brothers, our fathers and our sisters are not just determined by the physical. There's a spiritual family inside of the physical family. And that family is those who hear the word of Yahweh and do it. And do it. But, instead of ending on a negative note, let me encourage you. Let me end on this encouraging note right here as I close. If you feel all alone, and I know some people do because I get phone calls where some people feel like they're all alone by themselves. They don't even have a spouse. They have to call in on the telephone to listen to our live broadcast here of the service. Because nobody in their family or even around them in their locality serves Yahweh. But let this be an encouragement to you. If you feel all alone in your natural family, if you feel like your natural family looks down upon you, I want you to know that we here in this congregation are a family. I'm your brother. That's why Brother Dan Wilkinson, that's why he calls me Brother Matthew, and I call him Brother Dan. Now, me and Brother Dan aren't related. We, well, we are related if you go far back enough. <laughs> But he's of the Wilkinson tribe. I'm of the Jansen tribe. So we're not related first kin, close kin, physically. But you know what? We have a stronger relationship than just a mere physical. We have a spiritual kinship. That's what Yeshua is talking about here. You have mothers here in this church, men and women. You have fathers here. You have sisters here. You have brothers here. You have children here. We are the family of Yahweh. So long as we are listening to and doing the word of Yahweh. So you be encouraged. When people in your natural family reject you and think you're silly and think you're crazy for listening to and doing the word of Yahweh, be encouraged. Because who is your family? It's those of us here in this church. We're your family, even more so than the natural. Let's stand and close in a word of prayer. Almighty Yahweh, I love you and I thank you so much for this word. May it not fall on deaf ears. I pray it would penetrate the hearts and the minds of your children here today. Let us trust you. Let us listen to your word. Let us do your word. And let us realize that your son Yeshua came not to bring peace but a sword and that means that sometimes our enemies will be those of our own household. I pray that we'd realize this, but at the same time we'd be encouraged because our family are those in the true spiritual family of Yahweh. I love you, Yahweh, and I love your son, Yeshua, and it's through him we pray. Amen.